Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 20, recorded Saturday, November 30th, 2019. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Well, hello again, everyone, and thanks for listening to this latest episode of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Coming to you a day early this time because tomorrow morning, uh, Donna and I are going to be heading out to the Philippines for eight days of diving with uh, Atlantis Dive Resorts, both in Puerto Galera and Dumaguete. Um, We're hoping that uh, we're able to get out on time tomorrow. We're dodging a snowstorm here in the Northeast, uh, apparently going to be 6 to 12 inches in Connecticut of snow. And then uh, when we get to Manila, it looks like there might be a typhoon heading that way. So it should be a little bit of an adventure, but uh, we're up for it, and we're really looking forward to the trip to the Philippines. Also, uh, earlier this week, uh, Scuba Shack Radio now is on Facebook, and you can find us at Scuba Shack Radio on Facebook. Go out there, take a look. I'm filling in some of the gaps with the uh, from previous episodes or the latest episodes with some more material, and uh, hope that you can give me some comments out there. But check out uh, Scuba Shack Radio on Facebook at Scuba Shack Radio, and uh, give us a like if you think uh, I'm doing a good job. And uh, now we'll uh, get on with the show. In our open water class, we're introduced to basic underwater navigation. On those last two dives, we were required to use a compass, both on the surface and underwater. Pretty simple navigation, just an out and back a reciprocal bearing. Now, using a compass underwater and being able to navigate effectively is a, an important skill, and you can master it over time. I know it took me a little bit of time to trust the compass and to keep things simple. Most people are f- probably familiar with the classic analog compass. They know that the needle always points to the north and they uh, understand the components like the rotating bezel um, and the lubber line. Well, I'm not going to try to teach underwater navigation in this podcast or how to use a compass, but rather I wanted to talk a little bit about my go-to compass and why. My compass of choice is the Sunto SK-8, and the Sunto SK-8 is a liquid-filled compass, and it's billed as the world's most popular dive compass. Now, they claim that both the northern and southern hemisphere models can be used over a wider area of the globe, and that's primarily because of the upgraded magnets in the compass. Now, from a uh, measurement standpoint, if you think about uh, the compass, you know, as it's round, but if you look at it in a square pattern, it's probably two and a half inches by two and a half inches uh, on uh, square and about uh, 1.72 inches high. So it's pretty low profile. It's not very big. 
Um, you can get it in a wrist strap uh, version or a bungee mount, and some people uh, do put them in their consoles. Now, I prefer the bungee mount. I know that some of our divers like the strap. Uh, they just feel it's a little more secure and it goes on a little bit easier uh, than the bungee. Now, uh, one of the biggest benefits of this compass is its ability to function with a high degree of tilt. Now, you can tilt this compass plus or minus 30 degrees, and that they claim that that's about two to three times larger tilt than most uh, compasses out there. Now, the bezel, it ratchets every fifth degree. So what that means is it's very smooth turning on the bezel, and also it, it doesn't it's not susceptible to uh, dirt and debris really clogging it up. So it's smooth turning in, in all conditions. Now, there are also digital compasses, and I've had a number of them, but I've never really taken the time to practice navigating. I've had a digital compass on my Sunto D6 computer, my Sunto Viper, and also on my Perdix AI. And one of the reasons I never really took the time was because I found that they were very sensitive to movement. So I started focusing in on the computer and trying to stabilize the compass to the point where it was very distracting and I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on around me. So I decided to use my computer for dive-related information and use my analog compass for navigating. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, that's the only way to do it. Some people are very good with the digital compasses and use them quite well. I just haven't taken the time to practice. But um, my go-to compass, and if you're looking for a really reliable, uh, highly effective uh, analog compass, you can't go wrong with the Sunto SK-8. One of the podcasts that I subscribe to is Hakai Magazine, and Hakai Magazine does audio versions of some of their articles for their podcast. Well, recently, Hakai sponsored a five-part series that they kind of spun off as a separate podcast, and it was titled Ballast. That's an interesting subject. The show is hosted by Ellen Kelsey, and Ellen is a Ph.D. in science education and international environmental policy, who also has a B.S. degree in zoology, and she is a author and writer for Hakai Magazine as well. So it's a five-part series, and each podcast is somewhere around 16 to 20 minutes long. So it's not really uh, like you're investing a ton of time, uh, an hour podcast. So they're in short segments, and there's five different uh, pieces. First one is called The History of Ballast. The second is The Ballast of Colonization. The third is The Ballast of Living Things. The fourth is the ballast in your life, and the last one is the ballast in the sky. So what is ballast? Well, I think most people know that it's uh, you have to add weight um, to make ships stable, and usually they would use things like gravel, sand, iron, lead, um, use other stores, stones, or water to actually weigh the ship down. Now, the... Uh, 
podcast has lots of interviews with uh, experts from all over the world talking about ballast. For example, there's a uh, professor of maritime archaeology at Texas A&M, Philippe Castro, who talks a little bit about it. Um, there's a, a woman from the Royal BC Museum, Sue E. Chung. Um, there's a gentleman named Stephen Luberman, who is a social cultural anthropologist studying slave ships and the ballast that was used in slave ships. And then there was an assistant professor of mathematics from Yale NUS College in Singapore, Michael Gassner. Now, they talk a lot about uh, how ballast has affected the world and how it, it, it can just change things. One of the things, for example, is during World War II, uh, the Liberty ships would go over to England, load it with stores and, um, or uh, supplies for the war, and uh, when they emptied it out, they would need ballast to, uh, to make the return trip something heavy. So... What they uh, used was all the rubble from the Blitz that was happening in England, from Bristol, England, and uh, it would come back on the Liberty ships and get deposited uh, in Brooklyn. So there's a lot of uh, Bristol, England kind of on the uh, New York shoreline there. Now, uh, there was also an interesting piece in the, uh, in the podcast where they talked to a archaeologist, Mats Bernstrom, who has actually written a book, and it's called Ballast, Laden with History. And it's, he's an archaeologist, and uh, he talks about how ballast is used and, and discarded. So it's not just uh, in the uh, ocean or in the water that we, we look at ballast. There is also a segment on ballast in the sky, and that's how uh, they actually use uh, weights, uh, counterweights in these skyscrapers to uh, ensure the stability of, um, of, of the skyscraper. But uh, I thought I'd just uh, tee this up a little bit. It was a really interesting podcast, a five-part segment. I think you'll find it enjoyable. It's very well produced. I enjoyed it, and I wanted to share that with you today. It's time for another installment of Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive. And this time we're going to take you back again to season one and to an episode titled The Amphibian. And Matt helped me pick this one out and mainly we picked it out because it has a lot of Zale Perry underwater and I thought that would be appropriate having just had, had a chance to meet her at DEMA a couple of weeks ago. Now, this was episode 35 of that year and it premiered on September 6th. 1958. It has double-barreled spear guns, scooters, triples, you name it, everything is in this, uh, this episode. The premise is around a um, group of local skin divers, um, and um, Zale is one of those local skin divers. Her name is Queenie Miller in this, um, this episode, and she is married to DeWitt Miller, who is played by Courtney Brown. And the whole idea here is that there's a group of divers going out, but one of them obviously is going to be bad diver. 
Now, they're headed to an island called San Granada Island, and off of this island, there's a secret Navy base out there. But Mike's uh, taking the group to the other side of the island, so they should be out of the way in, a, in an area where they, they're able to uh, actually dive. The bad diver is somebody that nobody knows. He's replacing uh, a guy who couldn't make the trip. So he shows up with this large scooter, uh, underwater camera, and a double-barreled spear gun. Well, Mike takes him out to the to the island, and he wants to check out the first the the new diver with his scooter to make sure he's okay in the water. So Mike's happy with it. They buddy everybody up. Uh, obviously, Zale and uh, Courtney are buddied up as a married couple. Uh, the new diver is with uh, another woman who's diving, and then there's a couple of guys who are out spear fishing. Well, Mike's happy with everybody underwater, so he comes back up to the surface and he gets on the uh, wing of the plane with the pilot, and they're actually playing chess out there. Well, after a little while, Mike figures he needs to go back down and uh, check on his divers. Well, it's right about this time that uh, the one woman loses bad diver. He takes off on his scooter because he's going to go to the to the secret part of the island to try and uh, get pictures of what's going on of a secret underwater rocket launcher that the Navy's testing. Well, Ella, that's her name, she's all upset because she can't find the uh, her, her buddy, and uh, Mike's all upset because he says he's never lost a diver before and he doesn't like the feeling. Well, one of the scenes, uh, they're all kind of around the airplane, and I thought it was interesting because the, you know, Zale was sitting on the wing of the plane, and she had this really huge knife strapped to her waist. It was, it was kind of interesting to see the knife, uh, the, the size of that knife. Well, now they're searching for the bad diver, and uh, they have to take the plane up to, to look around, but they still can't find him. The rest of the divers are in a raft looking for the bubbles. Well, uh, Mike finally uh, decides that he may have to look on the Navy side of the, the island, so he gets permission from the Navy to go in and look. And sure enough, he spots the bubbles of uh, George Peterson, the bad diver. Well, he goes down and he, he sees George uh, trying to take pictures of this underwater rocket launcher, but he tries to surprise him, but uh, he says George was actually a little bit stronger than he thought and uh, a better swimmer. So now Mike's trying to get away from him and his scooter. Uh, as you can guess, he's got the double barrel spear gun on the scooter. He shoots the first uh, spear at Mike, but it misses him because it gets deflected by the current. And uh, Mike finds a cave that he's going to swim towards. The second spear goes off and it also misses him. Mike hides in the cave, and as George comes in, he uh, attacks George, chokes off his air hose in, a, in an underwater fight, and then actually brings him to the surface. So um, a lot of action in here, a lot of uh, underwater scenes with Zale uh, doing some of her underwater stunts. Actually, in, in this episode, her and uh, Courtney take the regulators out of their mouth and do an underwater kissing scene kind of reminiscent of uh, what was happening in Underwater Warriors as well. But that's uh, episode 35 from season one called The Amphibian. Again, it was filmed in Silver Springs, Florida, 
thought it was a good one to cover this time because it featured a lot of Zale Perry uh, in, in, in your underwater sequences. So thanks again for listening to Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive. Well, that wraps up episode 20 of Scuba Shack Radio. Can't believe we made it to 20, but again, I want to thank everybody who's out there listening and giving me encouragement to keep the show going. It's really a little bit of a labor of love for me, and I'm enjoying uh, having the opportunity to speak with you every couple of weeks. So we're off tomorrow to the Philippines. Let's hope that we uh, have smooth travels and get there and uh, avoid the typhoon. In the meantime, if you have an opportunity, uh, give us a rating out there on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever you listen to. Also, please take a look at um, our Facebook page. It's new. It's out there, at Scuba Shack Radio. Um, We're trying to keep it fresh and uh, with a lot of good stuff out there. But again, uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks when we're back from the Philippines. Bye. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.